It's a Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories bonus episode. What's up? My name is Brian, sitting in solo tonight, and uh, happy to be here with the mailbag. Now, if you have listened to the show much at all, you know about our mailbag episodes. You, well, you drive the show all the time. A lot of times, the subject that we are talking about front and center on our regular Wednesday episodes come from you. The ideas come from you. The energy comes from you. It's wearethestoryguys@gmail.com to give us suggestions and ideas. But then, you know, we, we hear from a lot of folks, and not everything we hear is, uh, is necessarily going to end up in a full episode uh, down the line. So we like to do these mailbag episodes where we check in with you. So remember, easy ways to get involved. We are the story guys at gmail.com, Instagram.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories, Facebook.com slash the story guys. And uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories, where you can support the show monetarily and have a direct line to us, plus a lot of extra content, extra stuff that uh, you're not going to get on our other feed, uh, including outtakes from shows, extra pieces of interviews. Uh, We also throw up usually a couple episodes a month around playlists and making top five lists and different things. So if you want to get into that, get into that. But today... We're just going to the mailbag and checking out uh, what you guys have to say about recent shows, uh, ideas you have, et cetera, et cetera. So let's go to the first one. Uh, this comes from uh, Chris. Chris says, I am methodically listening to all of the shows in order because I discovered uh, this gem of a podcast much too late. Very nice. God, you're making me feel good, Chris. But I specifically had to send a message about the bonus episode you did about Gaskin's switch. <laughs> okay, so if you don't remember this, this is a while back. It was another solo bonus episode with me. Very different than anything else we've ever really done on the show. But it was a reflection on a guy that I worked with uh, when I was in college who was you know, probably in his 60s or 70s at the time and was driving a truck and used to talk about his glory days of being in this country band. And he gave me a demo CD that he had created, and he sounded a lot like Willie Nelson, like almost disconcertingly too much like Willie Nelson. And I had done research subsequently about the fact that he was not stretching the truth. He had, in fact, been in a country group that got very close to some success in the 70s. So you can hear the whole story. It's not super long, but uh, you, you actually get to hear some of Gary's music, etc. in the Gaskin Switch episode. He said, I was especially moved by this. It was a great tribute to Gary as an unsung musical uh, musical hero. A great story. Keep telling him. Uh, thank you. That's very nice, Chris. Uh, I am glad you enjoyed that. Uh, it was very therapeutic uh, to write. And I, I think about Gary a lot. Still do. Uh, okay. Here's another one. This is Matt. Hey, guys. Love the Jefferson Airplane episode. Uh, here's a question. I dated a girl a number of years ago. Okay. It's always good when the second line of a letter is like, so here's something about my personal life because we're going to get to... We're going somewhere fun. I dated a girl a number of years ago who said she was the daughter of Tom Mastin. Tom Mastin wrote a couple of songs on Jefferson Airplane's Surrealistic Pillow album, but I've never been able to find much about him or why they would sing one of his songs. Could you check into this for me? Thanks, Matt. I love the personal assignments, all right? People ask me about my favorite episodes of the show that we've ever done, and they're the ones where we end up just doing some weird research on our own about Brett Michaels, about the Grateful Dead. We have several of these. Those are fun. So listen, if somebody is going to straight up ask me to verify the claims of an ex-girlfriend, 
Uh, I'm totally into it. Matt, is your girlfriend a liar? Was her dad actually big shit? That's that's essentially the question you're asking, right? Okay, so here's what I've dug up. If you don't know that name, it, this is this is a legit rock and roll name. Tom Mastin, T-O-M-M-A-S-T-I-N. And it's a really good almost made it story, right? You hear these. I mean, they make movies about these. My favorite movie of all time, famously, I talk about it on the show, is That Thing You Do, which is really essentially a movie about an almost made it band, right? So this is an almost made it guy. And you just have to think that like for every long-haired musician you've heard of since whoever in the 60s who was out there trying to make a career in music. There are like hundreds or thousands of people who probably look like that person who did not make it, but they may have gotten close. And Tom Mastin is one of those dudes. So started as a duo, Mastin and Brewer. Tom Mastin, Mike Brewer, they meet in Ohio in the mid-60s. And uh, this was like right around when folk was dying off for the first time. We've talked not very long ago on the show when we talked about Suzanne Vega about a resurgence of folk in New York in the early 80s. But there's the first round of it really comes in the 60s, early 60s, mid-60s. It starts to die off a little bit. So this is when Mastin and Brewer are trying to make a go of it. And they start to think, okay, it's dying off in New York, but we're hearing about stuff happening in San Francisco. And this is what we get into in the Jefferson Airplane episode, right? So people head to San Francisco, including Tom and Mike. They end up in L.A., Either on the way or once they get to San Francisco, they go up to LA for a while. They cut a demo with his manager and he's got connections. They actually end up in front of Columbia Records. They get a damn record deal. So this is all verifiable. Tom Mastin had a record deal with Columbia Records at one point. So they need to get a support band so they can be more than just a duo. And so they get this manager and this manager gets them in a practice space in this apartment. And I guess this apartment locally in this area is being used sort of famously as a practice space, like it's being rented out to multiple groups. And in that shared space, Tom Mastin and Mike Brewer meet Stephen Stills and Richie Ferre, who are in the middle of forming a band of their own that they call Buffalo Springfield. And so very quickly, Mastin and Brewer will end up on the road opening for Buffalo Springfield and the Birds on six California dates. I found the the record of this. This happened. Six dates in California. But here's the thing, Matt. I don't know the girl you're speaking of. It doesn't sound like you maybe still know the girl you're speaking of very well. So I don't know what she was like. And I don't want to speak ill of her father. But a little bit of reporting that I've done on this. Tom Mastin, hard to get along with, Maybe. Uh, little I could find about these guys puts the blame at his feet for the fact that they implode before they ever really take off. Much like the band in that thing you do. And it looks like subsequently he will struggle with his mental health quite a bit. Uh, what I found about him says he died by his own hand in the 1990s. Uh, but his impact on music wasn't just this brief time with this band. There are indeed Jefferson Airplane songs. I think at least two of them, you're right, on Surrealistic Pillow. And there's a song that Mastin and Brewer do, I believe, together called Bound to Fall that the birds recorded for the Notorious Bird Brothers, and it ends up getting cut. And so later, uh, Manassas, which is Stephen Stills' band, will record it. And so if you've heard that song by the Notorious, or, or I'm sorry, by Manassas, Bound to Fall, that is a Tom Mastin uh, and Brewer song. And then Mike Brewer tries to 
form other versions of this band. And eventually they will record this song called Truly Right. And that song ends up getting recorded by the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band and released. And that song is said to have been about, I mean, I believe Mike Brewer actually wrote it about Tom Mastin. So this is Truly Right by the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, a song about Tom Mastin. I love the letters. We are the story guys at gmail.com. If you have got a request, something you want us to look into, we are happy to do some investigation, whether it's just to get the details straight about a story you've always heard, like most of the episodes you hear, or if we need to check in on an ex-girlfriend's claims and see if she was really related to a guy who wrote songs for Jefferson Airplane. So Matt, yes, uh, she was. It, it sounds like that is legitimate. And that's the backstory on uh what happened there. There's not a lot out there. I was able to dig that up. I hope I hope you enjoy that. Okay, uh, here's another one. This one comes from Daniel. And Daniel writes, Hello, guys. I love listening to your episode about uh, Taylor Swift and Bobby Gentry. Uh, Taylor Swift's The Lucky One definitely seems to be about Bobby Gentry to me, and I thought I would share some verified stories about Bobby that I heard from her best friends. Okay, so, pause. I looked through this. I do not know if any of this is fully verifiable, uh, outside of Daniel saying he heard it from Bobby's friends. I don't know. He doesn't give me anything like that. Done a little bit of looking around on our buddy Daniel here. Looks legitimate. I'm just going to put this out here as information we got from a listener, and it sounds good to me. Uh, these are interesting stories, and they and none of them seem completely outlandish, given what we know about Bobby Gentry. Of course, if, if you need the refresher, Bobby Gentry is the, the country music star who had quite the career in the 70s. She wrote a little song called Fancy, uh, which we're going to talk about, which uh, eventually becomes a huge hit for Reba McIntyre. She wrote a song called Ode to Billy Joe, and did a lot, was really on, on this path to be a huge name, and was for a little bit, and then just quit the business. And people have literally not heard from her in really any way, shape, or form for years and years and years and years and years. So uh, this is a listener letter claiming to have inside information about Bobby Gentry. So whether or not this is true, I can't 100% verify, but I'm going to share it with you from Daniel. So Daniel, thanks for sharing these. He's got three stories. Here's number one. The first happened in the early 90s. Reba McIntyre has a hit with her cover of Fancy, and Frito-Lay is sponsoring her world tour, and they want to make a television commercial. Reba demands that the music of Fancy be used. Frito-Lay then has to go to Bobby Gentry to get the rights to the music. Problem is, Bobby is having none of it and tells friends, quote, no song of mine is going to be used to sell corn chips. Apparently, Bobby rebuffs multiple offers, and they keep coming for her. And finally, exasperated, she tells her rep to demand a million dollars for the music rights just to get Frito-Lay to leave her alone. Little does she know that Frito-Lay has pockets that deep, and she's stunned when they call her bluff and accept her terms. Now, here's the reason I'm willing to believe this story from Daniel, because this commercial exists. 
Uh, sir, I just need one thing. Sorry, we're closed. But this is Reba McIntyre. See? Yeah, right. Okay, you seem like a nice... I mean, listen, uh, if there's one thing I like as much as Reba McIntyre and Bobby Gentry, it's uh, Frito-Lay scoops. So... I'm glad those things found each other. Uh, that's an interesting story from Daniel. Now, he claims to have two more. Here's the second one. This story, he says, happened about six years ago. Marty Stewart, acting as a liaison for the Country Music Hall of Fame, contacts Bobby through her best friend, uh, who apparently is a cousin of Marty Stewart. So that's how he's able to do that. And reaches out and says, do we want to, quote, unquote, begin the process for you to be inducted in the Country Music Hall of Fame. Here's here's the story of what Bobby Gentry says to Marty Stewart, apparently. Bobby Gentry politely rebuffs the offer, stating, quote, I don't need to be in multiple Hall of Fames. I was the first woman inducted into the Mississippi State Hall of Fame in 1975, and that's good enough for me, end quote. <laughs> I, I also love that story. And again, I mean, seems believable. Here's the third and final story. This event happened earlier this year, okay? Per American song copyright law, a songwriter's copyright reverts back to the songwriter or their estate after 55 years. Bobby Gentry's original publishing deal with Larry Shane was therefore becoming null and void, and a bidding war erupted over Bobby Gentry's song catalog between Primary Wave, Sony, and UMG, who managed Bobby Gentry's capital recordings and publishing. Again, quick refresher, we've talked about this recently, there is a big market right now for for songwriters and musicians to sell off their catalogs and give them to companies for a big cash payout because having the rights to them long-term after they're going to be gone isn't necessarily beneficial to them or their family. So if they can get a big cash payout and let some company make the money off it later, so be it, right? And so that's happening in a lot of places. Primary Wave is one of the all puns intended, primary entities doing this. If you just want to see a staggering list of songs you know, Google Primary Wave Catalog, and you will you will see a lot of what they've been buying up over the last few years. So, anyway, back to the letter. Just this year, Bobby signed a huge publishing deal with UMG to keep her songs under their umbrella. She chose to stay with UMG because she was impressed on how well they were promoting and selling her recordings. The 2018 box set, The Girl from Chickasaw County, The Complete Capital Masters, all these things shocked the recording industry when they sold really well. Other reissues have all done extremely well, too. I am told the publishing deal was north of $20 million. Ode to Billy Joe stands at 246 covers and $50 million in record sales. Fancy has 26 covers and $25 million in record sales. And Morning Glory has six covers, most famously immortalized by Bill Evans in the 70s. And a further 26 of her songs have been covered by other artists. Thought you would enjoy this inside info. I also think it's telling that even Oprah has not been able to land the coveted Bobby Gentry interview. Keep up the great work and keep telling stories. Sincerely, Daniel. So, damn. That's that's a lot of insider info. Again, I don't know 100%. It seems pretty believable to me. And I am going to need to watch that Reba McIntyre Frito-Lay commercial again. And I'm also like... I need some scoops. I wonder if I have any. Uh, if you have a question, if you have a thought, if you just want to comment on an episode of the show that you listen to and you have some feelings about, please let us know. It's wearethestoryguys at gmail.com. Again, you can get involved at patreon.com. We um, love your support and you can get extra content there for five or ten bucks a month. And instagram.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories and Facebook backslash 
the story guys. Until next time, please, whatever you do, keep telling stories. Urban and beyond this September in Louisville, Kentucky with Bruno Mars. The Killers. Black Keys. Brandy Carlisle. Plus Duran Duran. Billy Strings, the Black Crows, the Avid Brothers, Blondie, and so many more. Bourbon and Beyond, September 14th through 17th in Louisville, Kentucky. All passes on sale now at bourbonandbeyond.com.